Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. That's really my heart for for this message that we would know him more. That we would that I pray that it would provoke you, that even this morning, this afternoon, you'd be provoked to know him more, to know Jesus more, to know the Father more, to know the Holy Spirit more. I want to talk about the Trinity today, and, I, and I'll title this message, the, the Beauty of the Trinity. And I'm being provoked because I realize I don't know enough about the Trinity. I don't know enough about the way God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. And I am not content on the little knowledge I have. I want more. And if you're, if you're of that mindset this morning, you will get what you asked for. Because he wants to pour out more. How many of you know that? He wants so much more. You know, God is limitless. When we get to heaven one day and when the new heaven and new earth, when, when heaven comes to earth, we will still be in this place of wonder and and experiencing new parts of who he is. Like we'll we'll never we'll never come to the end of that ever. Thousands and thousands, millions of years from now, we'll never come to the end of God. Father, give us humility to keep growing in our knowledge of you. You haven't got there yet. I haven't got there yet, I can tell you. We need to know God more. So I have, uh, I have three girls, and my oldest, her name is Fern, and she is one sharp cookie. So she, she's always cracking me up with how she processes things, and I learn a lot about myself um, from it. So we've been reading, um, going through, you know, these kids' Bibles that I'm sure you're familiar with. If you have a child, you're about to get real familiar with these kids' Bibles. Um, and we've been reading through those, but now, now that she's seven, we started transitioning her to, like, to, the, to read the actual Bible, and it's funny, she came up to me last night, and she was like, Dad, you know what? Now that I'm reading the actual Bible, I have a few comments about the kids' Bible. I said, really? She's like, yeah, I need you to tell this to the people that write the kids' Bibles. I said, All right, I'm taking notes. Tell me what's going on. She said, you know, they leave out a lot of details in those kids' Bibles. Did you know that it's very minimal? <laughs> and I said, Interesting. She was like, yeah, and I want to know all the details, and they don't have enough details in those kids' Bibles. I said, Fern, you know what? You're right. I'm going to write them an email, and I'm going to tell them they're heretics, and they need to include more details about who God is, about his heart, his ways. And so I agreed with what she was saying, right? But then I feel like the Spirit of God kind of turned it a bit, and I said, oh, you know what, Fern? I want you to never lose that desire, the desire to know God more, to understand the details of his heart, the ways that he operates, to, to, to get every bit out of the scriptures. Never, never lose that. Protect that wonder. Protect that passion. Protect it. And I'd commission you all today in the same. Protect that wonder, that desire for God that draws you to the word, that draws you to... to to eat it more, to, to take it in, to look at a different angle, a different perspective, to read a commentary, to, to bring it to your friends and say, I don't know, how, help me to understand what is God saying, to ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you show me? What, what is in your word that's for me? This book has stood the test of time, and it's right in front of my hands, and it's the living word of God. Lord, help us to understand your word that we would know you. And so I prayed that over her, but I prayed it over myself. And I'm praying it over each of you today, God, that we would hunger and thirst for the living God through the word of God, through every part of our being, that we would love you with our mind and our heart and our soul and our emotions. And every part of us would love the Lord. You know, I want to raise up. I believe we're called in this house to raise up people that are so in love with Jesus that they're consumed with the word of God. They're full of the spirit. They're operating. They're hearing his voice. They're, they're operating in the ways of the spirit. But they're also so full that they want more word. They want more of the Bible. They want their minds to be renewed as well as their spirits and their souls. I think that's a key part of what we're called to in this city. 
Because we can bring these things together. The spirit and the word are not separate. They come together. They feed one another. And even as we talk about the Trinity today, how many know how important it is that we acknowledge the three facets of the Trinity? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's so important. And you can even see through church history, even in modern history, how if we're not emphasizing all three of these, we can get to some, some odd places. We can get to some weird places. I mean, for instance, you have people that they forgot the Holy Spirit was a part of the Trinity. Like, give me Jesus. Give me Father God. Holy Spirit, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is God himself. We cannot negate the Holy Spirit. We have others, they're like, you know, they had issues with their father. They've had hurts and wounds, and they're just like, you know what, just give me Jesus, man. Like, Jesus, I can connect with Jesus. I love, I love Jesus. He's, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He's, in, you know, the most relatable to many of us of the Trinity. But the Father, that's just, he seems too powerful too like, you know, cut and dry. Like, I just want Jesus. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. God is three persons, and one is the Father. And then you've got, you know, the super charismatic crowd. We just want the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And I love to pray, come, Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray it today. But he's one, just one, of the, of the triune God. It's not all Holy Spirit, it's not all Jesus, and it's not all Father God. It's all three in one. And it's kind of tricky, honestly, to, to separate. And it's why we need more desire and passion for God to pursue even the aspects of the Trinity. Because if you're not hungry for more God, you're probably just going to give up with the Trinity. You're like, ah, I can't figure it out. I'm going to move on, just to be honest. But if you want more of him and you say, God's expressed his way in three persons, I want to know all three of them. I want to understand all the aspects of who God is. I bet you'll press into this topic. I bet you'll want more. So we have one God, yet we've got three separate persons. That's where it gets tricky. God is not of this earth. How many of you know that? So the complexities of God are tough to explain with a one-dimensional world that we live in, or three dimensions, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> We're in a three-dimensional world, not a one-dimensional. We're not, you know, a storybook here, but... God is beyond our dimensions, right, and beyond our understanding. And so the Trinity is challenging. So we know from Scripture that there is one God. There's only one. And this is very clear in the book of Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament. Hear, O Lord, is Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Isaiah 44.6 says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. There's one God but he expresses himself in three persons, okay? Now, I've heard it put before um, in youth ministry, and then I did youth ministry, and I said the same analogy. Well, the, the Trinity is like water. You know, it's like H2O. It's, you've, got, you've got ice, you've got liquid, and you've got vapor. And I thought that was a pretty good explanation, but the more I look into it, the more it's, it's not really a good explanation <laughs> of the Trinity itself. And part of the problem is God has distinct three different parts so he's of one substance, yes, like, like water, like ice, like vapor, but he's three distinct parts. And so I was like, oh, man, my youth leader led me astray, and now I led a bunch of youth kids astray, and now I'm a heretic. God help me. No, I'm joking about all that. But my point is it's hard to understand the aspects of the Trinity because they're the same substance, but they're individually different, okay? Every member, every member of the Trinity is uncreated, unlimited, and eternal. All of them, all three of them. So if you look, even we go right to the very beginning, Genesis 1. Now we know God the Father, like he's the obvious creator. Um, he even sends the Son and begets the Son. Um, but even in Genesis 1-2, we see, now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And what? The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There he is, Genesis 2. I'm telling you. That's the real God. He's also Holy Spirit, and he's hovering over the waters. And what do we know about Jesus? Well, from John, from the book of John, chapter 1, here's what we know. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a big one. If you go around New York and you tell people, I love God, I believe in God, they might be like, great, that's so good. And if you tell them, 
Jesus is God and you need to follow Jesus, then they're going to get mad at you. They're gonna, they, might, they might come after you. Well, they might come after you either way if you're in the wrong subway car. But if you tell them that Jesus is God, watch the vitriol reaction. But this is the reality. Jesus himself is God, just as the Holy Spirit is God. And the word was with God, and he was with God when? In the beginning, and through all things, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. When you say that, you're going to get, you're going to know real quick the person you're talking to. Because some people, that, that will agitate them. When you tell them Jesus is before all things and he created all things with God the Father and Holy Spirit in the beginning of time. So in this city, we want to share the gospel you got to know the Trinity if you're going to share the full gospel. And people are going to come in droves when we share. But we can't be afraid to share the fullness of who God is, how he's revealed himself. In fact, when we do, their hearts will be rent and they will come to the Father. But we cannot hide from these truths because it's controversial. This is the gospel that you and I have been entrusted with. We cannot compromise the Trinity. Interesting enough, the Trinity, they are also equal parts. And so there's not like there's a hierarchy here. They're co-eternal and co-equal. The last thing I'll say, the Trinity is not explicitly defined in Scripture. And that throws some people off. They're like, well, if it's such a big deal, why is it not in the book? (laughs) And I would say, well, if you're looking, you will find the Trinity everywhere in the New Testament. It's everywhere. It's implied. And just because men created doctrines around the Trinity does not mean it doesn't exist and it's not a core facet of the faith. It's everywhere. Go looking for it. One of my goals today is that even as I share these scriptures and this this truth, that it would provoke you to go in the scriptures and find the Trinity throughout the scriptures and say, my gosh, this is a key aspect of who God is that I haven't understood. And I'm willing to bet that when you do that, you'll engage with his heart, you'll fall more in love with him, and you'll give your life more freely to him. Because this is how he expresses himself in the Trinity. All right, so the early church, how did they kind of come into this understanding, right? Because remember, Judaism is, it's monotheistic, one God, right? And now the new, the apostles, they're proclaiming actually Jesus is God, too. And so we worship Jesus. Can you imagine how, well, you probably can. Most of the apostles were, were murdered. Um, so it was not a good message <laughs> in the culture, um, in the Jewish culture of that time. But they were declaring, no, Jesus is God, and thus he should be worshipped. And we want to worship in spirit and in truth, Right? We're worshiping in spirit this morning, and now I want to add some truth to our worship. And I'm willing to bet it'll make it that much more beautiful, that much more powerful, and that much more pleasing to the Lord. So the early church, they, they were unpacking this revelation of God is three in one. And you see it in the creeds. So there's many different creeds that were written, you know, third century, fourth century, seventh century They were trying to say, we need to better define this trinity that we see in the scriptures. Because we know that Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God and that God the Father is God. But we want to make sure that we don't lose this core reality of the gospel. And so what did they do? They wrote these truths into the various creeds. And I'd encourage you to read some of these creeds. Check out the Apostles' Creed. Check out the Nicene Creed. Read these things. Because... It was written because people were getting so off base, because people were claiming, you know, Jesus is not God. He's just an angel. Jesus is just a messenger. Like they were making all these claims. They said, no, 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 no. If you don't believe Jesus is God, you're not a Christian. If you don't believe in the triune God, you don't know God. And so they had to ground the people in that time into truth. How many of you know we live in an age where things like creeds are pretty pretty important. Things like like understanding that truth is not, 
is not contingent on people, that there is a real truth. We're in the postmodern era where somebody can just say, well, this is my truth. This is how I read the scripture, so that's how it is. You say, no, 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 no. There is a real truth. There was a real man named Jesus who really is God, and if you don't believe that, you're not even a Christian. You're not even following the Lord, and so I'm telling you out of love because, my gosh, you think you're a Christian, and you're not actually being true to the scriptures. You don't know the God that you claim to know. So I think it's so critical that we share this understanding of the Trinity. We read it. We dig into it for ourselves. And how much more for our kids? How much more for our kids? As my child cries in the back. (laughs) Lord, get her to sleep. Help her to sleep, Holy Spirit. Can we just start praying in tongues for her to go to sleep? No, I'm joking. <laughs> and now, getting the Trinity right is not just a matter of having good theology. I love theology, and it, it roots us and grounds us in what is true and real. But getting the Trinity right is a matter of seeing God rightly. I want to see him as he is. I want to know him as he is. We pray that, but knowing the, Trinity, knowing the word of God is what actually allows us to see him rightly. So that's what it's all about. Now, if we look in the, in the scriptures, I'm going to go through a bunch of scriptures today. I want to look at the Old Testament first. So the Old Testament, nobody comes out and explicitly says there's a trinity. But there are some hints in the Old Testament that I find quite interesting. Genesis 1, go to, turn with me to Genesis 1, 26. Genesis 1, 26. And here's what it says. Then God said, let us, plural, Make mankind in our, also plural, image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Genesis 1.26. It's plural. Interesting. Genesis 11.7 says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Us. And that's the Tower of Babel. You got a Bible scholar here. Own it. <laughs> Isaiah 6.8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? And I said, Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. He's responding to a plural God. But they're monotheistic. Interesting, right? Psalm 110, 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord says to my Lord, what's that all about? Now Jesus comes and he comments on this scripture in Matthew 22, verse 43. He says, who is that other person? Who is that guy? The Lord, speaking to the Lord. He's pointing to himself. He's saying, I am him. I am him. So we see these clues in the Old Testament. But when we get to the New Testament, things really blow open in terms of the Trinity. Things really become much more clear. Because it's not really clear, to be honest, in the Old. There's just these clues. You know, God's like that. He loves to, I mean, that tells a lot about God, right? He kind of sprinkles these things in his word. It's like, do you want to know more? He's like that. Do you want to know more? Ask me about my word. Ask me about the things. Ask me about Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit more. I'll give it to you. So let's go to the New Testament, looking in the Gospels. Where do we see the Trinity? My favorite one is Matthew 3. Turn to Matthew 3, verse 16. This is my favorite picture of the Trinity by far. Here's what it says. This is the baptism of Christ, right? So just to give some context, Jesus is about to start his ministry. He's lived on the earth 30-some years. He hasn't done any miracles that we know. He hasn't, he hasn't revealed himself, who he is. And here is the key moment. He goes to John the Baptist. And John, he says, John, I, I need you to baptize me. And John's like, whoa, are you kidding me? I know you're the Lamb of God. I know you are God. He's like, no, I need you to do this. And so let's see, let's look at this scene right here and look for the Trinity in this moment. Matthew 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, 
he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. That's just an amazing scripture right there. Heaven was opened. So that would imply it wasn't open before, but now that Jesus goes, it's opened. And heaven was also like, a lot, often it was like a door, like people would see it. But now you've got an opening happening, and you even see, if you go into the book of Acts, you see the same thing where Stephen, when he's, when he's being killed, he looks up and behold, a door. Like, like something burst open in the heavens in this moment when Jesus chose to be baptized and enter into his ministry. Now heaven's different. <laughs> so anyway, that's a fun fact. Um, verse, here's the key part. I'm getting distracted. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning, alighting on him. There's the Spirit. The Spirit of God descending like, like a dove. My kids are like, you know, the Holy Spirit is a dove and came down and sat on Jesus' head. And I was like, what kid Bible did you read that in? I'm going to email them too. That's not right. But like a dove, which is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit that coming and resting on Jesus. Like a dove. And a voice from heaven, here's the key part, says, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. It's the first scripture that we get, we get, a, we get to come into the conversation between God the Father and God the Son. We're coming in to, to hear their dialogue, to hear how they relate, how they connect to one another. What a profound thing to hear. They're not... T- what are they talking about? They're talking about their affections. He's saying, you are my son with whom the other, um, other, um, other ways, translations say, my son in which I take delight in. Or my son with which I am well pleased. Let's go to Matthew 17. Here's another, here's another moment where we see the Trinity engaging with each other. Matthew 17, uh, verse 2, starting at verse 2. This is at the Mount of Transfiguration, which is a really r- radical story. If, if you've read it before, you kind of jump over it. But this is pretty crazy. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He's like, hey, come up with me on this mountain. I don't know what he told them, but they get up there, and it's a glorious moment. It's, they, they, they realize, if they didn't yet, wow, Jesus is God. And this is no joke, what we're, what we're into. Like, We're following this man, and he really is who he says he is, all right? Matthew 17, verse 2. There he was, they're up on the mountain, transfigured before them. What's that mean? His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So you got to imagine, if you were there, can you imagine seeing that? Like, I don't even know how light, like, it's like a blinding, like, you know, Moses, God encounter sort of thing going on here. Um, Just then, oh. There appeared before him. There's Moses. He's there. And Elijah. And they are talking with Jesus. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, is it good? It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I always think that's so funny. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe there's some revelation in there. But to me, it's like Peter's just nervous. Like, that's my guess. But I could be wrong, right? This is the word of God. There might be more to it. (laughs) Verse 5. While he was still speaking, A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Similar verbiage. The second time that we see the conversation happening between the father and the son. And what is it? It's full of love. It's full of approval. It's it's rich with affection and desire. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, they glorify each other so freely. It's a beautiful, intimate relationship. And, we, and this is, that's the conversation Jesus chooses to bring them into. He could bring them into all sorts of different things. He says, this is the one I want you to see. I want you to see this conversation with me and the Father. Why? Why would he bring them in on that conversation? I don't think it's just so they have good theology. I think it's so they have revelation themselves of what they can have with the Father. Jesus is saying, what I have with the Father, you can have with the Father. The unity, the fellowship, the delight that the Father takes in me, he takes that in you. 
So he's laying this foundation as his disciples. He's bringing them in to the secret place. And here's what it looks like. Love and affection. Approval. Joy. Intimacy. Oh, my gosh. This is good, good news. That's what it looks like to have a relationship with the Father. So I just want to go through here three different points related to the Trinity. And my first one, I really hit on it quite a bit in these scriptures. My first point, the Trinity is founded on mutual love and affection. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's mutual love and affection. They, they're constantly glorifying each other, and they're constantly pointing to the other one. It confuses us because we're used to kind of hierarchy sort of models, people trying to lord. And, but God is really comfortable in himself, and he's fully in love and, and at unity with himself. And that's a beautiful reality, especially if we're made in the image of God. Lord, make me like that. Lord, make me like that. I believe there are situations in our life that expose whether we really believe the Father's love towards us. And we don't like to go through them. We go through them kicking and screaming. But when God puts us or when we allow ourselves to get in certain situations, we find out real quick, does the, do I, am I confident in the love of the Father? Jesus was very confident in the love of the Father. In fact, he endured the cross and he was fully obedient unto God because he knew the Father loved him fully. And because of the joy set before him, that was me and you. But we go through things, and it puts that pressure on, and we can decide whether this love that Jesus had with the Father is the same love that the Father has for us or not. And we'll find out real quick. So I'll share with you briefly kind of a situation I had recently that challenged in me whether I agree with the Father's love for me. So we went to a mission trip um, there in the summer. We went to Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. And it was in preparing for it. How many know the flights are kind of crazy right now? I do not prophesy that over you, but that is a reality in the earth. Um, and so our flights got all messed up. We had to fly out of another city and like in the next day. So we're going the next day to another city to fly up from a, to try to get there. And we show up at the airport. It's like 7 o'clock. I'm carrying a two-year-old toddler. And, and we show up, and the security guy's like, you guys are at the wrong airport. And I'm like, dude, are you for real? Like, this airport is on my ticket, right? He's like, no, it's a different D.C. airport. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so we're already late to the missions trip, right? And all the you missions trip people, they were holding it down. There was, like, three of them there. And they were, like, trying to, like, minister to 50 kids. And so they're already kind of sw swimming underwater. <laughs> and now I'm calling the airline. I'm trying to do everything I can, and I can't get anything. Like, nothing is opening up. There's going to be a whole other day delayed. And I am just beyond frustrated. And because of my history, because of my past, because of things I dealt with, a moment like that is extremely triggering for me. How many can relate? How many have something where maybe somebody else doesn't think it's that big of a deal, but for you, that is a big deal. Like that, like you're about to get unsaved, but because it was that bad, you know? You know what I'm talking about. So I'm a mess. Like I'm so mad, and I'm just, I'm rehearsing the lies of the enemy over me. You're an idiot. You're a failure. Like, how could you do this? You left your team hanging. How did you not, why did you not check that thing? Why did you not do this? I mean, it's coming on me hard. And in that moment, it took a, it took a godly wife to break that lie. Because <laughs> my wife's seeing all this, and she could have been mad. And let me tell you, I messed up her day real bad. Because we got a two-year-old in the airport. It is not fun. So nothing changed circumstantially. <laughs> it was a bad day. But what changed was she began to agree with God's love for me, God's heart for me. And my accusation and the lies that I was allowing to come and hit my heart, she wouldn't agree with them. She was like, you know, you're blessed. You've done so much. It's okay. You're, you're loved. You're taken care of. And she would not agree with the accuser. And so I'm left with like, I guess I'm going to have to just agree to let God love me. <laughs> I'm just going to have to agree to not condemn myself because he's not. And so it's a little example, right? Some of us have much bigger problems than that. But those little things really matter. 
Because if you can agree with truth, you can agree with the love of God in a moment like that, you could save yourself all sorts of trouble. You know, Friday night, we were here, and I felt the Lord so strongly coming against fear, shame, condemnation. And so, so we, just started, we just started repenting. Because, in fact, when you, when, you, when you start doing that, like, things shift. If, you, if you're getting bombarded with fear and shame and kind of like those messages, like I was saying, like, you're an idiot, you're a moron, you're whatever. Your life doesn't, you know, you're not going to fulfill the plans of God for your life. When you start getting hit with that, immediately go and just ask the Lord, what are the things that I've done wrong that I need to repent of? Just come at it that way. And, and let him love you. Let yourself feel that forgiveness and receive it. And when you do... My gosh, like it'll, it'll turn something in your heart. It'll allow you to re-engage with them because you realize I'm condemning myself and I'm not condemned before God. The blood of Jesus, if I receive Christ, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than my silly decisions. And repentance is the quickest way to get there. And now some of us would just, in the church, they just want to skip over that and just say, oh, just receive the grace of God. No, 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 no. Like the grace is real, but you need to repent. You need to come before him. Because to love him is to obey his commandments. I'll say it again. To love God is to obey his commandments. It's not just to hug him and kiss him and have nice times with him. It's also to obey what he says. That's how we love God. That's how Jesus loved God. So number one, the Trinity is founded on mutual love and affection. And we need to receive that love. Number two, the Trinity functions together. It works together to secure our eternal life with God. How many of you know it takes the triune God to actually execute the redemptive plan for God on the earth and to save our very souls? He works through the triune God to do that. I'll show you. It's, so just to, here's, here's, the, here's the roles. Father, the Father is the author of salvation, right? He initiates. The Son is the actor of salvation, right? He's our mediator. He's God in flesh who actually comes and dies for our sins, who actually comes and lives a life we're supposed to live so that we can now have access back to the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the applier of our salvation. The Holy Spirit confirms what Jesus did was right, and the kingdom of God is coming fully on the earth. I'm the down payment. I live in you, and I'm making you so confident and aware that what Jesus said is real. And what he has started, he will finish. So the three of them work in tandem, and then, of course, Christ is going to come back and fully execute the kingdom of God here on the earth. And, and so they work in tandem to bring about God's redemptive plans. And so it's important that we see how the three of them work. Um, I'll read this real quick. John 3.16. We've heard this probably plenty of times. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son. He's sending the son to the earth. Right, to fulfill his redemptive plan for the earth, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The son arrives on the earth to fulfill God's redemptive plan that the father has planned out from the beginning of time. Now, I want to turn real quick, just going through the upper room discourse, John 13 through John 17. If you look specifically at, I'm going to look at John 14, hit a few verses from this. This is a great section of scripture that articulates the Trinity. Like there's so much here. I'm going to hit on very, very brief aspects of it. But there's a lot, a lot, a lot in this section of scripture. And if you ever listen to Mike Bickle, he preaches on this so much. Mike Bickle out of IHOP. And he says how John 14 is one of the key scriptures in even knowing how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. John 14 shows us how to fulfill the greatest commandment. So I want to read John 14 starting at verse 1 to get a picture of what Jesus is doing and what the Father has initiated. All right, John 14 verse 1 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. All right, Jesus. He's saying you believe in God, so now also believe in me, which that's a pretty offensive statement. Um, if you're in that culture at the time. But Jesus is saying, believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So he's sharing this with the disciples right before he's about to leave. He's about to go and die on the cross and be resurrected. And this is like are the, some of the last statements he's making to his disciples in preparation. And so he's saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Because they're about to go through a lot of trouble. They're about to go through a lot of confusion when their leader, when the king, the king of kings, who they thought was going to restore the entire kingdom now, in that moment, in Israel, they're thinking he's going to restore it. But lo and behold, now he's going to leave. You want to talk about a confusing situation for the disciples to be in. So he's saying to them, give no place in your heart for trouble. Give no place. Have peace, have confidence in this reality. And what's the reality? The Father has a place for you. In the Father's house, Jesus is going to prepare a place for them. And, and how many know, I mean, that's the whole rescue plan. That's the whole redemptive plan of God. That Adam messed this thing up, but you know what? I'm sending a man. Actually, I'm sending myself, my own son. And he is going to fix this mess that humanity is in. He's going to come and resolve the issue of sin so that you can go and be in the Father's house all the days of your life, forever and ever and ever. And even the new heaven and the new earth are coming together. So you're going to get to do it actually on earth in this new heaven, new earth realm, which is going to be beautiful. But Jesus is saying, don't you worry, disciples. This will happen. I will prepare a place for you. Some of us, we want to comfort ourselves with, with lots of other things, like just even niceties. But what we need is the truth of God. What we need is the bigger narrative that God has prepared, Jesus has prepared a place for us in the Father's house. And that's going to be a good house because we have a good God who is intimate, intimate with himself, who has love and affection for his kids, and that's where we're going. That seems like if you share it to people, they're like, why don't you just hear my heart, hear what I'm going through? Like, so you need to hear them. Don't just tell them, hey, hey, you're going to go to heaven one day. You're going to be in God's house. Like, don't, don't go right there. But still take them to that place because that's the reality where peace, supernatural peace, comes and dwells in our hearts. And we need this truth right now in this era. You need to know that Jesus prepared a place for you in the Father's house. Not so you can hang in there, but so you can persevere, so you can bring the kingdom of God in this city. Some of you were placed in this city to bring the kingdom, and you cannot afford to compromise. And when you know who your God is, when you know where you're going, you will not compromise. You will be eternally minded, eternally focused, and the temporal things will have no hold on you. And when people call you an idiot or you call yourself an idiot, you're going to be able to crush those things under the love of Christ. You're not going to agree with that nonsense because you've got bigger fish to fry. You've got the kingdom of God to bring into this city. We can't let these little things ruminate anymore. I'm serious. Like, I feel the spirit of God so strongly. He wants to root out those lies. He wants to root out that insecurity and fear in our heart. I know where you're going, he's saying. Do you know where you're going? Do you know what I've done for you? The things I've planned for you. The places that you are rooted. You're rooted in heavenly places. Jesus, we need more of this revelation. God. And the sun, the sun gives us confidence as well. The sun gives us confidence in where we're going. And, and the sun is the only way to get to the Father's house. How many of you know that? He is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is declared um, in John 14 as we keep going. Verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Whoa. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I had been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus was the perfect picture of the Father. And so people here in, in, 
in our culture even today, they're like, I don't know who God is. Like, I think he's, a, I think he's in that religion and that one, and everything kind of leads to God. And I think God's like this, or maybe he's like that. I don't know. Let's ask some more questions. Let's debate about who God is. The debate is over. Jesus revealed the Father. Jesus was God and revealed God the Father. So what he displayed is who God is. There's no question. It's who God is. And so we can have confidence in God if you look at the life of Jesus. You see how he heals, how he loves, how he responds to the people that are put in front of him. Wow. Maybe the kingdom will be all right. Maybe the Father's house will be a nice place if the Father's like Jesus. So we don't have to be afraid of the Father. If you're not afraid of Jesus, then you shouldn't be afraid of the Father. Some of you, I'm saying this prophetically, you need to learn to go to the Father more. Maybe you're going, you're going to Jesus, and that's good. Like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But he's pointing unto the Father as well. And I feel when you go there, you'll learn, you'll receive a discipline, and you'll receive a, a maturity that a father brings. That's a good word. That's for some of you. <laughs> so, Holy Spirit is the applier of our salvation. Holy Spirit is the applier of salvation. Reading in John 14. I'm going to keep going. John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I love that they added forever in there. And be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. At that time, the Holy Spirit was not in anybody. It, it, it had fallen on Christ. but It's not in anybody. And Jesus was true to his word. He was going to go to be with the Father, but the Spirit was going to come and be in the people of God. What does that say about our God? He would come reside inside of our bodies. It says a lot about the love of God, his nearness, his desire for his people. I love you so much, I want to be as close to you as humanly possible. I love the Holy Spirit for so many reasons. Um, John 16, I just want to read this real quick. Worship team, you guys could come on up. John 16 says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes. See, he's the spirit of truth. Why are people saying truth and spirit are different? They work together. The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Don't you love the prophetic nature of the Holy Spirit? I'm talking about something that will give you peace and joy and root you. The Holy Spirit tells you what is to come before it even happens so you can have confidence. The plan of God will be fulfilled. He'll tell you that in small ways, but don't forget the macro ways. The kingdom of God coming. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is crying out, Abba, Father. He's crying out, you are secure. You are safe. You have a good and loving Father. The Spirit of God is reminding us of that all the time. If we will ask him, I just want to encourage you, ask him, Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, would you show me more of the Father's love? Would you show me? Why do you cry, Abba? Like, why do you cry out for the Father? Would you show me, Lord, why you're doing that? Why you're provoking that understanding for me to know I'm a son and that I have a, a loving heavenly Father? Just ask him that. I don't know the full answer, to be honest. I just want to know. I want to know. Why is he crying out, Abba, Father? What, is it, what does it mean? He will, he will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. See, the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. And that's a great way to test if that's the Holy Spirit or not. Somebody comes up to you and say, the Holy Spirit, 
God told me this. He's like, is it glorifying Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit's the one speaking. The Holy Spirit's the one, the one really initiating contact with our heart. Does it glorify Jesus? Does it glorify the Father? If it doesn't, you need to, you need to take that word out back and dump it. Some of us, well-meaning, have falsely prophesied things that are distort who God is. But we are called to test those words. And we have the body of Christ here to also help us process and test those things. So that we can prophesy without being afraid. But we can test the words. And we can grow in our knowledge of God. The triune God. All right. My last point. I like to go through my points. So. Number one, the Trinity is founded on mutual love and affection. Number two, the Trinity functions together to secure our eternal life with God. And number three, the Trinity invites us into the family of God. We are invited. The fellowship that the Trinity has, we get to share in a portion of that fellowship. That's a radical thing. That is a radical thing. John 14, verse 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, in Christ. And I am I'm in you, Holy Spirit. We get invited to the table with the Trinity, with the God of the universe. Like, it's astounding. That's wild. That's what? Just let that hit home. We get invited to the table with the Trinity. I want to read this last verse. John 17, verse 20. This is Jesus praying. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me, that's you and I, through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So now he's talking collectively. We're all children. <laughs> we're all with the Trinity. This is a big party here. That's where we're going, you know. We're going to the wedding banquet. That they may also be in us. So what? So the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, I think some of us, we start to receive the love of God, and it, and it impacts us. But then there's a second function. We're also called to give out the love of God. That the world may know that Jesus is who he said he is. It's when we operate in the love of Christ, in that unity together, in that unity with the Trinity, that the world knows that Jesus can deliver on what he said he would do. But if we're just receiving the love of Jesus and not giving it, it leads to all sorts of problems. It's almost like our, we're made to give out. And so if we're just taking in, our purpose becomes distorted and we become stagnant. And so I would encourage you today, just as much as during this prayer time, we're going to come and receive more of the love of the Father. I would encourage you also, and tell the prayer people if this is you, pray that you also get commissioned to release the love of the Father. Pray that you look more like the Son. Because you're being conformed to the image of Christ. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting a little, I think it's just so cool. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. And so God, would you make us look like you, make us love like you. And in that place, you will find a lot of these fears and doubts and insecurities. They fall away because you know your purpose. And you walk, when you walk in his love, boy, you can receive a lot more love. When you give that love, He'll pour it out even more. Your cup will be continually overflowing. There's no shortage of the love of God. There's no lack. 
When you give it out, he'll give you more. Everybody stand for me, please. So, Father, I pray today, Holy Spirit, would you come? Come and glorify your son, Jesus, today. Come and point us to the Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Remind us. Remind us who we are in Christ. Remind us of the Father's love. That the love, that the unity that Jesus shared with the Father, that we would experience it, that the love the Holy Spirit shares with the Trinity, that we would experience this love, that we would experience it today, Father. Lord, I come against any, any shame or condemnation and guilt, and we declare there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Father, that the old is gone and the new has come, that you've made us new creations. God, that you put your spirit inside of us. And so, Lord, we come to you eager for more, desperate for more of your spirit, for more knowledge and understanding of you. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, that the love of Christ would rule and reign in us, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength, that we would look like Jesus. I thank you, Father, for the commissioning today, that you said, go and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we engage with the triune God, that we would baptize nations in this city in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, that the God who has grasp us, that the God who has taken a hold of us, who's come down to earth and rescued us and secured us for the heavenly realm, secured us for the Father's house, that that God we could proclaim, that that God we could display in this city. Lord, I pray for those in this room, they're going to lead thousands to you. They're going to lead thousands to you. Lord, I thank you that thousands will come to the Lord because of the testimony of those in this room. That thousands will come to the Lord because of the love of Christ bubbling up out of them. That thousands will come to the Lord because your spirit has consumed them. Your fatherly love has become a part of their narrative and the son is leading them forward. They're following Christ. They're going to the dark places. Some of you are being sent to very dark places in this city and you will be unafraid and unashamed because you are going to the Father's house. And so the things of this earth, they just don't matter as much anymore. <laughs> so Father, we worship you today. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. Let's worship him. Let's worship the King. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.